<laughs> My name is Mel Everson, and um, I thought I would share as I uh, proceed, not just the, the, the sermon for the day, but to share my testimony briefly. Some are new to the church, and some I haven't met personally, and so just to kind of give an overview of my testimony and about the ministry, and then I would transition into the sermon. Um, well, I was actually born and raised in Hunterdon County, right across the river, and raised on a farm in Rosemont about the first seven years of my life. And I have some farm experiences myself and worked on a farm. And so I know what Pastor Chuck is talking about when he gives those farm stories. And um, so it's right here in this area that I grew up and I'm familiar with. And as I grew up, um, unfortunately, the farm part was great. Great to have to learn the work ethic and the experiences. But the home life was not so great. There was some dysfunction and alcoholism. And so that was part of what um, I experienced in my life growing up. And then with that, it led to me becoming what uh, I found. The, one verse in the Bible that I could relate to is when the Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I could relate to that. And honestly, I believe I was worse than the Apostle Paul. So I was a booklet, and I have available called Chief Sinner Transformed about my whole testimony. And that's really um, what had come about in my experience. And there's a picture, if that picture can be made available. And you can get a glimpse of the old Mel. That was me at about age 26, at the peak of the horrible sinner that I was, bound with the same dysfunctions and worse than what I grew up with, and bound in alcoholism, sexual addiction, criminal behavior. It was horrible. And that was the way I was, as Pastor Chuck often speaks about the way we were. And God had planted seeds throughout my life. Even as a young child, my parents, they didn't take me to church. But God was still doing something in the midst. He had neighbors. My parents would have neighbors take me to church. And throughout my childhood, there was these seeds planted. So God, there was always that belief in God but there was that struggle with myself. And then it finally culminated in about March of 1993. It was at that point I realized how horrible I was. I deserved to be stoned to death. I deserved to be in prison for life. And, and when I realized, I, I saw the glimpse of the horribleness of me. I wanted to commit suicide. But, you know, my father did that when I was 19 years of age. Perhaps he had the same struggle I did, but he made that choice. As I contemplated that, I thought, what a coward I would be to do that, to just throw my life away. I had wife and children. And what would I do to them? If I am so sorry and so hurt about the things that I have done, why not give my life to the Lord? 
Why not allow God to change my life and allow that to be a testimony to help others? And so that is where the story really begins. And it was about the age of 27, that spring of 93, where when I was going through that struggle, whether I should commit suicide or not, and I decided instead I'm going to give my life to the Lord. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what I did was I committed spiritual suicide. I said, fine, I'm going to give up my life. I'm going to give up my life as it is, whatever you want to do. If I have to be in a mental institution for life or a prison for life, or you're going to use me outside somewhere, whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. I surrender to you, and whatever happens, happens. Use me. And then that is when the transformation began, and God began to transform me. And that's what I want to speak about in the sermon as well. But I want to fast forward as the Lord began that transformation in me. You know, when I go into the jail and I speak to the inmates, I often tell them, I'm coming in here voluntarily, so I don't come in here involuntarily. The the ministry... It's serious. The ministry I do is the antidote to keep me from being that old male that you saw the picture of. And that began in 1996. It was actually September of 1996. So we are celebrating 25 years since Fentrip Ministry was thought of. And it was at that time I came up with this idea. I have been in prison. I was in prison for two years and got out. It was about a year later. And I wanted to write to the guys that were in the prison. And and it's just something about friendship. And here's an interesting thing. When I was going to school, when I was growing up, I hardly had any friends. And at the time I gave my life to the Lord, I had no friends. My wife, maybe. That was about it. I really had no friends. And yet here's God using someone that had no friends to develop a friendship ministry. Isn't that like the Lord? So it was just, the Lord put it on my heart, friendship ministry. And we know, we understand ministries are about serving. In any ministry, they do something to serve. Soup kitchens, halfway houses, homeless shelters, you understand. What about friendship? Don't people need friendship? So... Let's have a ministry of friendship. And in that, you share the gospel as well. The mission, John 15, 15, Jesus says, I have called you friends. So this really is about testifying and sharing the friendship of Jesus. And it's really to lead people to an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ that they may overcome the works of the devil and become the people that they were designed to be. That's really what the mission is about. And friendship ministry, people say it's a prison ministry, and it is. 
But really, friendship ministry is an overcomer's discipleship ministry. And prison ministry is one part of that. So, um, I came to this church in 2002. Actually, I met Pastor Chuck at First Baptist Church. And that was back in 1995. So it was right around that time when the Lord was starting to um, lead me to do this ministry. And Pastor Chuck has been an encouragement all these years. And when I knew that he had planted this church, New Hope Community Church, I knew this was the church that God would want me to be at and to serve in. And so as I came to this church right away, not only did the church welcome me, but the church wanted to allow this ministry to be a part of the church. And so all the way up until 2009, the church funded all the expenses for the ministry. And then in 2009, we developed a ministry board of directors and we became incorporated, 501c3 incorporated ministry. And with that, we now became separate from the church but as you know, the church still has us on their missions board and um, giving. So we receive money from the church to do that. And in all of these years, God has always provided for the ministry. Now, it was a, a picture of what our ministry does. And as I mentioned before, we're an overcomer's discipleship ministry, and we do prison ministry, correspondence ministry. As I mentioned, I went into the jail, and because of COVID, since March of 2000, I have not been able to go in there. In fact, volunteers in most prisons across the nation cannot go into the jails and prisons even still. And Brenda Danner, she was going into the Mercer County Jail ministering to the females right across the river. But we do correspondence we provide Bible studies. I provide a pen pal uh, program to write to inmates. We provide resources, various kinds of resources to help them in, in whatever area they need help. And that's the correspondence. And right now, even because of COVID, that's very important because the volunteers can't get in. At least they can receive these forms of correspondence, all of this literature. There is also the ex-inmate ministry. I'm in touch with hundreds of ex-inmates that I've known throughout these years that have gotten out, and they're moving on with their lives, and it's great to have that fellowship, to have barbecues, to go out for dinner, and, you know, social events, things like that, but also when they get out, to be that first person that they can see to help them to, to get guided in the right direction. And in one of the resources, we talk about the after in the aftercare guide for the ex-inmates. You know, it says there's about 75 percent chance an ex-inmate will end up back in prison. That's a sad statistics. But however, those that have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and have that support for them when they get out of prison, it flips the other way around. There's a 75% chance of their success that they will not go back into prison. So we want to provide that help that they need. And finally, we have a men's purity ministry. Um, as mentioned in the um, booklet that we they give out, we have a men's purity ministry. Uh, every two weeks, every second and fourth Thursday, we meet and men to help 
overcome any sexual addiction issues. But in addition to that, we have a website, friendshipministry.org. And on that website, there is the ministry, the, the men's purity ministry tab. And when people click on that, that's designed so that anybody, anyone in the world, can anonymously find help to overcome any sexual addiction issue, any sexual disorder, anything. Psychologists, behavior experts might say, there's no help, there's no cure. You can't change. But the truth is, you can. And we want that to be made available so people can find that anonymously. And there's resources available to help people to overcome and to have that freedom. And so we we make that available as well. So that is a brief overview of my story and the ministry. So let me pray and we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our gathering here together. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. We thank you for this church and for what you have done for Pastor Chuck and all the leaders here and for all these years that you have been faithful to protect this church and provide for the church. And and I personally am very grateful for that and for all the support from the church and the people. And and it's just been amazing. And, and, and then on top of that, all the miracles, which time doesn't permit to share all of that. And Lord, we're so grateful that you can set us free. And we thank you, Jesus, that you make that possible with friendship with you. And Lord, we need friendship. I heard it said that if we can find one faithful friend, one good friend in our lifetime, we are blessed. Wow. And that's humanly speaking. But Lord, we know that you provide that friendship. You, Jesus, will come into our lives and to be that friend, even if we don't have that human friend. And I pray that as I speak, that your words will ring true for each of us to know that friendship that you provide. And that maybe someone that doesn't know what friendship is, doesn't know you, doesn't know how they can have all that blessing and freedom, that they will find that and, and be blessed and encouraged and set free. Bless this time, and may you be glorified in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title is Overcoming Through Friendship with Jesus. Overcoming Through Friendship with Jesus. John 15, 5 through 16. I would say that the Gospel of John is probably my favorite uh, part of the Bible. And probably John 15 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I really enjoy um, the the Gospel of John because he gets into the feelings of Jesus, the, the emotion of Jesus, the passion that Jesus has for his disciples and for us. And in, in this particular passage, he really gets passionate about his relationship with us. So here's what he says. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, 
Ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Friendship. That is what Jesus is saying here. When we abide in him, he abides in us and we can have that friendship. And this is not some spiritual friendship. This is not something that we just come to church and we say a prayer and have worship or even a morning devotional or even to read the scripture once a day. This is real friendship. This is the, it takes the same commitment, the same time, the same thinking, the same uh, devotion that it would if we have a best friend, a spouse. It's that kind of friendship. That's what he means by this abiding. It's spending time with Jesus. It's thinking about him when we're at work, when we're doing things. What do we do? We have friends. We're our spouse, the person we're in love with. We think about them all the time. We see something. and we, Oh, I got to tell that person about this and things like that. That's the way it is when we have our friendship with Jesus. It's the same way. Is Jesus our first love? That's really what it comes down to. When we make Jesus our first love, then all these things will come to pass. On the back table, there is a devotional guide. And in this devotional guide, we give this devotional guide to every inmate that writes to us. For whatever reason, this goes to them. And it includes a devotional guide with a checkoff where they can... Study or read the Bible. You can just check off each chapter you read so you can go all through the Bible and check off what you've read and keep track of it. And there's also a model prayer in there. You can pray through each day. But in the front of it, it talks about this, that our relationship with God is precious. He is our friend. He is our first love. And with any close relationship, there needs to be devotion. That is, undivided time just for nurturing that relationship. And so there's a checklist in here that we can ask ourselves. And this is very convicting. But really, this is a, this checklist tells us, asks, it, it, it reveals to us, are we having that first love relationship with the Lord? Number one. Is my delight in the Lord greater than my delight in someone else? Wow. Does my soul long for times of right fellowship in God's word or in prayer? 
Do I refuse to just be only human and easily give in to those things that I know displease the Lord? Do I willingly and cheerfully give to God's work, work for the needs of others? Do I view the commands of Christ as my happiness, an expression of his love? Do I inwardly strive for the approval of the Lord rather than the acclaim of this world? And finally, am I able to forgive another for offending me? Wow. These, they're very convicting, but they, they challenge us to have that first love relationship with the Lord. In a book that I had an ex- I had a blessing of having a whole retreat, a weekend retreat, on a book called Sacred Romance, which was written by Brent Curtis. And in that book, Sacred Romance, he says this, There is something telling us inside that there's something more, like we need to be in an adventurous love affair with God. We know that there is to be more than our typical relationship routine. And really, when we come down to it, it's already written for us in the Old Testament and confirmed by Jesus as well as one of the two greatest commandments. And that is, in Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That says it right there. That's our devotion to the Lord. And then, all right. All right, so we have that. Now we have to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute. I love my spouse. I love my friends. I love my children. How can I devote all this time to the Lord and, and I'll be not to be able to devote that time with them? But as we know in the Christian life, there are many paradoxes. Many paradoxes. And one of those paradoxes is that the opposite occurs when we make Jesus our first love, we will now love those that we love humanly even more. And C.S. Lewis confirmed that when he wrote this. He said this, To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Increased. When we love God more we will be able to love all those people that we love even more. We'll be able to serve them even more. We'll be able to have more time for them even more. It's, a, it's an amazing paradox, but it is true. The Bible says that, and I know that from experience. Hundreds of friends, the time that the Lord gives me to write to hundreds of, of inmates and friends on the outside, and I, and, and I work a full-time job. How is that possible? It's the, it's the fruit of that promise. When we love God more, he will give us the ability to love others more. Or love more in, in quantity. There is a result of this 
abiding in Jesus. Of course, the blessing of the friendship, the blessing of that relationship with the Lord. And believe me, I know it, I needed the Lord to, to get through all the hard times that I went through as he had to transform me and to be able to rejoice with the Lord in all the miracles and the blessings of the ministry that the Lord has allowed me to have. But in addition to that, there's much, much that we gain from this. There's these uh, results. And there, there's many, but I'm only going to talk about a few. Now, the first thing is overcoming the works of the devil. In 1 John 3.8, Jesus says this. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy. When John 3.8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, destroy in the Greek, when this was written, actually means unbind. Jesus came to unbind the works that the devil had, had done. It were possessed. You know, I looked at that picture of me back then and I wonder, was I possessed? Did I have a demon in me? But if we're possessed or oppressed by the devil, that gets kicked out. Because when we make Jesus our Savior, he comes and lives inside of us via the Holy Spirit. We're learning about that in the book of Acts by Pastor Chuck speaking about that. When the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, there is absolutely no ability for the devil, the demons, demonic oppression, possession, to be present in the same temple. Out. Gone. So that's the first thing right off the bat. There's no devil influence whatsoever. Also, unbinding. The damage or the bondage that the devil has done begins to unwind or we become released from. And I will get into some of those things. Works of the devil. They're unbound. And this means all of the works. I don't see anything in the Bible that says accept this or accept that. All of them. What are there any? Do you think of any works of the devil? Do you think of anything sinful, demonic, unbound? The works of the devil are not just sinful habits. We think of the sinfulness and all those things in that list of First Corinthians six nine through eleven. Works of the flesh, things like that. We think of addictions. But yes, they all become unbound, unwound within us. But it includes also any traumatic experience that we may have had and the psychological issues that may have resulted from those traumatic experiences. A traumatic childhood, Jesus can unbind and bring healing. One who suffers from severe mental disorders, Jesus can unbind and bring healing. One who is horribly bound by certain issues, maybe it's anger, paralyzing fear, habitual sin, shame, guilt. Jesus can 
unbind. Not only does the Bible make this clear, but I personally know this from experience in many of those things and also people that I've met, people in every area and every category, people that have been set free. And if time allows, I might share the testimonies of some of those. Now, let's look at the scriptures that we can see that speak through what we overcome. And and I'm only going to look at four of them for now. First John, the first chapter, 7 one. Jesus, uh, the Apostle John, says this. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We overcome sin. The, sin, the, the sins that we have committed, we know we are forgiven of those but also the power of sin, that the desire to want to do whatever that sin is, is now we have the choice. It's no longer our slave. Even the Apostle Paul said, I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a slave to Christ. And we understand there might be some sins, that habitual sins, things that we've said. Maybe we just can't stop talking a certain way or saying curse words or certain habitual habits and so forth. We now have a choice. I remember when I was a teenager, I did some horrible things. And and I remember saying this. I don't know. It's like some force makes me do it. There is the demonic. That's the demonic element. But today, that force is gone. I have a choice. Now I can say, no, I, I don't have to do those things that I was such a slave to do. We're set free. We overcome sin. Next, 1 John three nineteen through 20. Yep. Again, the Apostle John writes up one more thing that we can overcome. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Along with that, look at Romans chapter 8. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We overcome a condemning heart. All condemnation, that is any shame or guilt that we have, is unbound that's a, that's a work from the devil, and Jesus unbinds that. We're set free from that. No more condemnation. Next. Again in 1 John. 1 John has a lot about overcoming. 1 John four, eighteen, the first part of the verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And finally, in 2 Timothy 1 through 7, 1 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We overcome fear. That's, that's the truth. We are unbound from any fear. Abiding in Jesus will fill us with perfect love. 
and God's love that overcomes fear and the powers that fear may have to hinder us. They're unbound and we are made whole. And believe me, I would not be able to be here speaking in front of you if that were not true. I was a shy, introverted person. And here I am speaking before you. And I, I rejoice at every opportunity to share. And the more people that can hear, I'm more excited. Only Jesus can do that. He can take away whatever our fear may be. And finally, the the last one I'll speak about is that we even overcome the devil. Again, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. He says this, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. These scriptures make it clear that we overcome the devil. We understand the devil is is to be feared. There's a, there's a there's a we have to be careful. We don't want to mess with the devil. But when we are in Christ Jesus, we overcome the devil. The devil has no power over us. Therefore, we don't have to fear the devil. It, it's make, it's made clear by that. In addition to that, Jesus also gives us the authority over the devil. His influences, demonic powers. Let's look at that in Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 verses 17 through, I'm sorry, 18, 19 and 20. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Spirits are subject to us. The demonic powers are subject to us. We have the authority over them. So we can pray, Lord, I rebuke any demonic spirit and that spirit has to leave. And that's another way that Jesus destroys the works of the devil. He unbinds. So our friendship with Jesus not only gives us that relationship with the Lord, gives us that eternal life, gives us the hope in heaven, but also gives us results that we can live a life here and be blessed in that life and to serve the Lord, to serve others. I mentioned I was going to share testimonies and time does permit to share some of those testimonies. Personally, I know hundreds of inmates, ex-inmates that are out here living in this world, they're no longer bound by sinful habits, whether that be drug addiction, alcoholism, sexual addiction, criminal behavior. They're, they're totally changed. And we probably saw uh, headlines, testimonies of like Chuck Colson and what God did for him. Uh, other people that have these ministries where they were criminals, but now they're serving the Lord. 
And, and I know many of them, ones we hear about, they're out there and they're public, but there's so many that are private. And, and, and God is working in their lives and they're serving people. And they've overcome these. Jesus has unbound the works of the devil in their lives. I personally know many that have had traumatic childhoods who were horrifically abused, neglected, and today they are healed. They are whole. They have been for, they even have forgiven those that have abused them. They're set free. Those things are, they're unbound from. They're no longer a victim to those traumatic events that had happened. And finally, a testimony of someone I know that has been set free, delivered from severe mental disorders. This person, when she was 17, she was hospitalized and diagnosed with suicide, schizophrenia, and the doctors didn't offer much hope to her. In fact, in her testimony, she said the doctor said she should be institutionalized for life, throw away the key. But, Someone shared Jesus with her. She made Jesus her friend. And then Jesus unbound all of those mental disorders. She became a PBU graduate, which is now Karen University. And she shared her testimony on Unshackled. And now today, it's been 50 years since she's been doing ministry. Ramaya Ministries out of Berlin, New Jersey. And she goes into the prison in um, Clinton, the Edna Mahon prison, and ministers to the females there and does a whole lot in that ministry. But the Lord set her free, even from a mental disorder. Jesus can set us free. There, the Bible makes it very clear that when we make Jesus our friend, we can overcome. And that's all we need is the Bible. All we need is the word of God to give us that truth. But if you're, if you're anything like me, you need a little evidence. You need, you need to see it, right? I'm that, I, I need to, you show it to me. I want to see, I want to see the evidence of it. The Bible also says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. So I like some substance. I like some evidence. And God, in his mercy, even provides that with the testimonies. There could be a lot of pictures of before and after of people that have made Jesus their friend. And now they're overcoming whatever that issue is. And they're, they're, the, they're the substance and the evidence. They're the, they're the proof. They're the fact that this is possible. And I hope that's true for you. And that you, you're resonating with me. You understand Jesus has also set you free. But maybe not. Maybe you haven't found Jesus yet. And he hasn't become your friend. And there, somewhere in what I've been sharing is a struggle for you. Jesus can set you free today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us. We do thank you that you have provided that friendship through your son, Jesus. You have not only given us that friendship, you have given us eternal life. You've given us hope for heaven. You've given us a way that we don't have to fear death, that we know we will be with you in heaven, 
through Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you had done in being obedient to the Father to go to the cross for us, to give your life so that you can set us free. Set us free from hell. Set us free from all the works of the devil. Lord, I pray that everyone that has heard this message knows that experience, knows that freedom, knows that eternal life, knows the salvation they can have in you. If not, that they will put that faith in you, that they will trust you, Jesus, as their Savior, as a friend, and that there will be that victory. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity and hearing your word and, and having that relationship with you. And may we walk with you and enjoy that first love relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.